Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Title of my message is The Infinite Delay. The Infinite Delay. I wonder if you have ever met a potential friend prospect and you had a good feeling about them, but every time you try and get together, it just never pans out. Anybody ever had this happen before? It, it, it can be frustrating, right? And then you can start to wonder like, <clears throat> what's going on? Did I misread it? What's happening? Are they not as interested in this friendship as me? This has happened to me, okay? Um, a little while back, I met this guy at the gym and um, I thought there was some chemistry, friendship-wise. And we had great banter in the sauna, you know what I mean? We, had, we both had, like, a similar sense of humor. And I, there was one time where I was on the, the Stairmaster, and uh, he was on, like, kind of catty corner on the elliptical sheen in front of me. And you know you've done this, too. And I was, like, trying to spy on what he was watching, you know what I mean? And I was like, I like that movie. He was watching a movie that's, like, one of my favorite movies. And I'm like, this guy, this, we're going to be friends. And so... You know, I, after a few run-ins with him, I, I finally like just approached him. We were talking and I was just like, hey man, we should, we should hang out sometime. And he was like, we should. And I, he seemed really enthusiastic. And then I got excited. I was like, he wants to be my friend just as much as I want to be his friend. And we exchanged numbers and we texted a couple times. And then I was just like, hey man, let's hang out. And then like the first time it didn't work out. And then the second time it didn't work out and we're like five times in and it's just never working out. It's like every time I'm like, we should do this. He like mysteriously is busy, you know? And then afterwards, you know, or sometimes there've been times we've made plans and then he bails on the plans last minute. And I'm like, come on. And every time I then bump into him at the gym, he's just like, hey man, I'm so sorry. It's just been like, it's been so crazy. It's been so busy right now. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it's not you, it's me. And, and I'm like, oh, I've heard it all before, you know. And, and I, I start getting like paranoid, you know. I'm just like, what is the deal, okay? Like, I thought we had, like, am I just not your type? I mean, what is happening? I feel like I'm good friend material. And I get so frustrated. I'm like, you know what? I'm done with guys. And I know you guys have been there. <laughs> right? You've had this experience. Has this ever happened to you? Was his name Todd? Does he go to choose fit now? I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to call him out. I think like, you know, a lot of us, we've had these experiences. And what happens is if it happens enough, we get stuck in like this infinite delay with this person. And you start to wonder, you know, are they really that busy or are they just brushing me off? Are they really that busy? As busy as they seem to be? Or are they just brushing me off? And the reason why you wonder this is because there have been times where somebody wanted to be your friend and both of these things were true at different times in your life, right? Where they wanted to be your friend, you're like, yeah, let's totally hang out. In the back of your head, you're like, we will never hang out. And then they try to hit you up and like make a connection or whatever. And you were just like, yeah, it's not gonna work out. Oh, darn. Um, But in your head, you're just like, dodged another bullet. And then there have been other times where you really thought that person was cool and you want to hang out. You want to sort of see like where the friendship could possibly go, but you really were busy. And then you start to get like, you don't want them to think that you are blowing off because you really are busy and you know they're getting that vibe from you. And sometimes it just falls apart based on their assumptions. 
But the truth is, we, we live in a busy age. I mean, we are in some ways busier than we've ever been. We work long hours, right? And then we have to fight endless traffic. And then we go home and we've got dishes and laundry to do. And then there's that one appliance that's always broken that you got to fix. And then we have anxious pets and aging parents to care for. Not the same category, but like I'm just lumping them for the sake of this. And then you got doctor's appointments and then you, get, you got car maintenance and you got new COVID protocols at work that they're sending you and you got to read through. And then if you have kids, right, you have the drop off and you have pickup time and you have soccer practice and you got late night homework help and, and, and you've got screen management and you've got crush drama that you got to help them work through. And then that doesn't even count like your multiple health issues that you've been ignoring for a while and diet management and your trouble sleeping and your constant back pain, even though you're stretching, how much can a person stretch? (laughs) And then your phone is pinging and it's always buzzing and it's like brimming with new emails and voicemails and, and, and DMs and breaking news notifications and once in a lifetime game changing business opportunities that have to be followed up with immediately because if you don't, then somebody else will get that client and then you won't. And then like, what? It, and it's just, there's, it just keeps coming. And I wonder if you've noticed this too. I, I think like it has become normal to anxiously feel like you absolutely must do more than you can do, more than anyone can do. Like, and even though when you sit down and start to think about all the things that you feel like you have to do in life or in a given day or week or whatever, you're just like, this is not humanly possible, but you still feel like you should somehow be able to figure it out and make it happen. And this I think in a lot of ways gets in the way of us being able to have the sort of relationships that we really want to, that that fill our life up. You know the guy at the gym finally told me? He was just like, listen, okay, it's not that I don't want to get together, because I do. I think you're a great guy. Um, It's that I, I just, I don't have time right now to do anything I want to do, because I'm so busy doing everything I have to do. Does that resonate with you? When he said that to me, I'm like, man, that I've had those seasons. And in fact, I feel like a lot of people feel like this on a regular basis. And the reason that this reality is an issue for us is because we don't have forever to figure our lives out. In fact, this idea keeps coming up over and over again in Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm just going to read you a couple highlights of this because there's way more than we could get to today. James chapter four, verse 14. This is the brother of Jesus. He says this, you are like a mist that appears one moment and then vanishes another. He's talking about your life. Your existence is like a mist that's like, and then it's gone, right? Like a COVID droplet just spraying from someone's mouth. It's there and then it disappears, but then you still gotta pay for it later, right? There's still consequences, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 says this, everyone has to die once and then face the consequences. Wow. Like, in other words, he just like, in case you think you're gonna live forever, you're gonna die. Everyone dies. It's how it works. Welcome to being a person, right? And then when you do die, you gotta face the consequences of the life that you lived, the choices that you made, you, you, like you, with the legacy that you left behind or didn't leave behind, like all of those things, uh, they're either good or bad consequences, but they'll, they'll, they're things that you have to face. 
And then uh, Psalm 90, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 90, verse 12, the author says, uh, he's talking to God, he says, teach us to number our days so that we may truly live and achieve wisdom. Like, I know I don't have forever, but sometimes I don't really boil that down to like how much I actually have. And God, teach me to like be aware and to do the right thing, to make the right decisions with my limited life. Now, when we read all these, they don't maybe feel super uplifting initially of just like, hey, you're gonna die. Your life is just a mist, right? Like you gotta be wise because I mean, it's the countdown has already begun and there's a lot of the numbers have already fallen to the ground already, right? But this is a common theme in wisdom literature, whether we're talking about um, scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, whether we're talking about wisdom literature outside of the Christian tradition, there's this idea that comes up over and over and over again that meditating on your death motivates you to make the most of your life. And a lot of us, we don't wanna have to think about that, but there is a beauty in it. There's, there's a purpose for it. When you think about how limited your life is and how little time you actually have on this earth, it motivates you to wanna make the most of what you do have, the life that you are living. I wonder if you've ever gone to uh, someone's funeral before and as you were sitting there and and you're mourning the, the person that you lost, at some point you stopped thinking about their death and you started thinking about your life. And you started wondering, like, I wonder what people would say about me. If I was the one who died, I wonder what people would say. I, I, wonder, I wonder, like, if I'm on the right path right now. I, I wonder if I have prioritized the right things, that if my life was the one that just came to an end, if I would have been proud of the way that I spent it. Because the reality of it is you cannot do everything. Human life has limits, and limits require choices. Choices about what you're gonna do and what you're not gonna do, about what you're gonna invest in, about what is not worth investing in, at least at this moment. And we don't like having to make these sort of choices. Like, we don't wanna have to face how limited we actually are. And you have a whole set of limitations, right? You have certain limits that are imposed upon you by your personality, Right? Some of us, you know, we are very extroverted and outgoing, and others of us are very introverted, right? We need time to sort of recharge by ourselves. And some of those thresholds are sort of preset, right? Some of us, we need time away from people to like the people that we spend time with. Others of us, we could just people, people, people all the time, and it's never enough. And some of those people's names are Tegan, <laughs> my daughter, right? You know, some of, the, the, some of the, the limits are placed on you by your stage of life, right? You, you, you used to have more time to do this, and then life shifted, life changed. And, you know, now you have a kid. Like, when we first started, when we had babies, it was like, man, we, this is really cutting into our hanging out time with other people outside of here, right? And, um, or maybe you are on the other side of it. You're in a different stage of life where all of your, you were kids, 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 and then the kids left, and you're like, now what do we do? I mean, it's just us. Like, we're, how do we make friends now? We're 60, right? And, and it's, I don't know where to go or what to do or how to fill my time, right? Because the limitations have lifted or changed or shifted. Um, uh, your earning capacity, right? You can't do all the, the vacations that you see on Instagram, right? You don't have like yacht cruise through the Caribbean money, okay? And if you do, you need to invite me. 
okay? But most of us don't. We have like inner tube in the backyard under a sprinkler money, you know what I mean? And that is the limit that you gotta embrace. You gotta figure that out, right? That's real. But not only do we all have limits, we all have different limits. Like we're not the same people. We don't have the same personality. We don't have the same abilities or capacities or even desires, which is what makes comparison so crazy, right? Because you're comparing like what someone else is doing or what they have, but you're not taking into account like how they got it or how their personality is structured or what they started with or where they came from or how much work they put in or how easy, hard, difficult, who was helping them in the process. We don't care about any of that. We're like, how do I get that picture in my life? And in our culture, we wanna believe that we can be and do and have it all, all at once. But you can't. I hate to be the Debbie Downer, but to join these voices in scripture, You cannot be and do and have it all, all at once. But we don't like that. We don't like that idea, right? And so we tell ourselves, like, listen, it's not that there's too much to do. It's that I haven't figured out the, like, the right schedule yet, okay? That's the thing, okay? It's not that there's, like, an unrealistic that I'm trying to fit 42 hours of stuff in a 24-hour day, and I'm already not sleeping, and it's still not enough, right? It's that I I just need to figure out how to like fix it or finagle it a little bit differently. And so we continue to exhaust ourselves on this treadmill that's just going nowhere. And we wear ourselves out and it feels like there's no end in sight. There's no solution in sight, but we keep trying, keep pushing for the impossible. It reminds me of this this ancient Greek myth uh, about this, this character called Sisyphus, which is just fun to say, okay? And he's written about by Homer, okay, not Simpson, but the one who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Remember, you had to read those long poems when you were coming up in school. And essentially, the the narrative of this character that's written about ancient Greek literature is that he was was athletic, he was very strong, he was also very cunning and witty, and he decided that he was going to outwit he needed, he had to outwit the gods and figure out how to extend his life because there were so many things that he wanted to do that couldn't fit into the lifetime he was allotted. And so he needed to figure out how to extend his life and he was gonna cheat the gods and figure out how to do it. And, you know, he did a few different things um, in this narrative that, that, you know, essentially delayed the inevitable. But eventually he dies, right? And he's drugged down to Hades and he's given a punishment for evading or trying to trick the gods. And the punishment is that he's placed at the bottom of this mountain and this giant heavy boulder is at the base of this mountain and he has to push it up the hill all the way to the top. He has to completely exhaust himself and use all of his strength to do this thing. But the catch is every time he reaches the top, he's just a few feet away from that plateau where the boulder will sort of sink down into a divot and he's done with his work and he can finally rest and relax. Every time he gets a few feet from that place, the boulder, he loses grip on it and it rolls all the way back down the hill and he has to start all over again. And his, his destiny, right, his eternity was just repeating this process over and over and over again forever. What a horrible existence. There's actually a term that has gotten pulled into um, our society based on this myth, like to call something... Uh, Sisyphean, which is also just real fun to say, 
means that that thing is the unending pursuit of the impossible. And I bring this up because I think designing the perfectly balanced schedule is Sisyphean. It is a problem you will never solve, right? It is a loop you will never completely close, not because there's something wrong with you, but because there will always be more that you could do than you can do. You will always have more opportunity than you have time and energy. It's the way in which life is structured. And some of us are tortured by this reality because we don't want to ever have to say no to anything that, you know, interests us or anything that is expected of us. And so we just decide we're just going to work harder and we're going to work smarter and we're going to change the angle and we're just going to keep pushing the boulder up the hill. And eventually we're going to figure it out. We refuse to embrace the limits of our life and of the season that we're in. And that denial makes us feel like we are perpetually running up a hill in hell. And sometimes if you're honest, it's probably what your life feels like. Like it is this exhausting exercise in which you're trying to solve an impossible puzzle. There's this verse about time that's always intrigued me. It's in the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter three. And the wisdom writer says this. He says, for everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. And then he goes on in the next few verses, nine verses to to list out a whole bunch of different things that are part of life. A lot of things that kind of counterbalance one another. A thing, some things we want to experience, some things we like try really hard to avoid, the whole scope of existence. And then at, at the very back end of this, at verse 11, he says this, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And there's a a couple phrases in here that every time I read this sort of bother me. And one of them is this phrase that that we should like. It sounds poetic, but it's just, I find it annoying. It is this phrase like, everything is beautiful in its own time, right? And I read that and I just think like, but I want everything to happen in my time, okay? I have my own time, all right? And it would be really, what would be really beautiful is if I I could just make everything that I want to have happen, happen right now. And I could win in every area of my life all at once right now without making any sacrifices or there being any drawbacks. That's the fantasy I carry with me, but it's not real. And what this is telling us is that life has rhythms, that every season requires us to make difficult decisions about what to lean into, what is priority in our lives at this particular moment. And part of the difficulty is that, um, you know, God is telling a bigger story with humanity and even a bigger story with your life. But if you feel like you're meant to do and have and be it all right now, you won't be able to lean into and appreciate and make the most of the moment you've got. Wouldn't that be the worst? Wouldn't it be horrible to get to the end of your life and realize you'd invested your limited time on things that didn't really matter? The guy who who wrote the verse we just read in the book of Ecclesiastes, he wrote the entire book. And he is the son of David. His name's Solomon. And David is this 
king who we've sort of talked about in the first two weeks. And one of his top priorities in life was, was his close relationships, was the friendships that he invested himself so heavily in and credits them with a lot of the success in his life. And so his son grows up watching a father who prioritizes relationships above almost everything else. And Solomon does well as he inherits the, the kingship. He, uh, he amasses unparalleled wealth. People end up traveling from all over the world to, to see him, to see what he built, to listen to him lecture. He had wealth and fame and power. He essentially really had everything that everyone in our culture just thinks like, man, everything would be amazing if I just got a hold of these things, if my life looked like this. He was brilliant. And he left behind a couple of books um, for us to sort of peek into his life and what he had to say and the observations he made. Um, he wrote the Song of Solomon when he was young and he was passionate and he had just fallen in love. He, he later writes the book of Proverbs when he becomes a father and his kids are young, but they're growing into adulthood and he wants to sort of pass on the wisdom and the observations about how the world works so that they can live wisely. And then uh, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes in sort of the twilight of his life when, when he's an old man and his kids are grown and his grandkids are grown and he's looking back over his existence and he's wrestling with all the questions that all of us do of like, did I do well? Like, you know, did I make the most of my existence? And he's coming to grips with how he spent his time and how he invested his life. And this is what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse seven. Another example of something meaningless this guy's real positive. He's, uh, he's just a real, just really gets you like excited, jazzed about life. Another example, which means he's given a lot of things that are meaningless up to this point. The case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can, but he asks himself, who am I working for? Like, why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. This guy has spent his life acquiring and achieving and accomplishing everything that he could, and he's made a lot of himself. People are envious of him, but he never got around to investing in relationships. And I'm sure that, like, you know, at the time, he just thought, like, no, I eventually will. I just, things are crazy right now, and he just kept putting it off. That was the thing that just sort of kept slipping off the list, and his promise of someday turned into an infinite delay. And it just kept never happening. And the result was him looking back on his life and thinking about who he had become and thinking like, this is meaningless and depressing. And it's great that other people are envious of what I have. I, I would trade it for something else. It's not ultimately what I wanted. And what's interesting and powerful about this is not just these words, but where they're placed because it's right after he acknowledges this that he says something else famous, part of which I mentioned in week one. He goes right on after saying that to say this. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone uh, who falls is alone, they're in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? This is the time before electric blankets, but you guys understand what he's trying to say, right? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three, three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. 
I love this idea that he's just saying, he goes right from being like, this was hollow. You know what would have been meaningful? Just like cultivating more core relationships, investing in deep end friendships. That's what really makes the difference in life. And I love how, how low he sets the bar. I mean, I would assume that he would be like, listen, don't do all that. You know what you need to do? If you had like 42 friends, you would, that's the number. You would love your life. That's not what he says. He's like, you know what you should strive for? Like one or two. If you have one or two like real good friends, man, that would exponentially impact your life in a positive way. Like it would make you enjoy your existence so much more, so much more meaningful. Because the idea through all of wisdom literature is that when it comes to friendships, quality is more important than quantity. In fact, you can only get so close with so many people. I wonder if you've ever heard of uh, this theory called Dunbar's number. Um, it, it's based on, on a theory from this anthropologist that she sort of presented in the uh, early 90s, um, right about the time that all the music that was in the halftime show came out, okay? And she made this interesting observation that uh, essentially humans only have the capacity to maintain meaningful relationships with about 150 People And she refers to this as they're, they're, that becomes your tribe, right? The people that you can kind of track their lives, you know what's going on with them, you have some sort of connection with them. 150 is pretty much, in her observation, the limit for humans. But this, isn't the, this is the number that gets really all the press, right? Partially because it was included in a, a well-known Malcolm Gladwell book. But what a lot of people don't understand is that she, she includes in her research a lot of other suggestions about the way that connections work. And she says that we really only have the capacity to have two best friends, to have maybe five close friends, 15 good friends, and 50 acquaintances, so think of it as like two people who just know everything. It's like they're almost another part of you, you know? Um, they're just like, you are ride or die for life. And then the close friends are sort of your inner circle. These people that you trust to be there for you, to listen to you when you need it, to show up almost no matter what. Good friends are people that are just like, listen, we would get together, we like each other. Like, I don't always bend over backwards, but I would consider them to be my people. I care about them. And then the 50 are just like, man, I love getting together when we can. Like, these are my acquaintances. I like all of them, but it's just like, I mean, we have our own lives, okay? We got stuff going on with, with, with both of us. And, you know, depending on how you classify these things, when you look at the, the story of Jesus, his life sort of tracks with this same sort of thing. He's got like one best friend. He's got three close friends. He's got 12 good friends in the disciples. He's got uh, about 70 uh, acquaintances um, in the people that he's sort of teaching and, and 120 that are following him at the time of his death that really are his, his larger tribe. And, and yet he's Jesus and you're not as good as him. So I mean, like that's pretty incredible. And the, the, the meaningful the fulfillment that he's able to experience by leaning into this. But here's the thing I think all this points to. Um, whether you, like, you know, align with the accuracy of these numbers or not. I think the bigger picture is 
even what relationships to invest in and to what extent to invest in them is a choice. It's a choice you have to make. It's a decision that you have to come to. And once you stop believing that it might be possible to avoid uh, difficult choices when it comes to your time, the easier it gets to make better ones. But I gotta tell you, whatever you decide will define you. Whatever you decide to do with your time will define you. The question is, will you end up being proud of what you chose? There was this uh, Australian hospice worker named Bronnie Ware who wrote this really famous book. Uh, It was first a blog and then it became a book. And she essentially spent time with people toward the end of their life. And she noticed that they would confess all sorts of things to her as they were dying in these last few moments of their life. And she noticed that there were trends in the sort of regrets that these people had. And so she wrote, compiled all this information into a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And it came out about 2009. And then what I think is interesting is in 2018, there was a bigger, broader study that included a lot more people. And what they found was the information from those people fell into all the same categories that she'd initially collected. And the things that these people said that they regretted on their deathbed about their lives was this. These are the top five things they said. The first thing is, number one thing people said was, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I would have just been me. I wish I would have focused my time on the things that I want to do, that I'm called to do, that I I feel compelled to do, instead of doing all the things that I feel like I should do, that I have to do. I wish I would have been smart about that. The second thing they said was, I wish I wouldn't, I wish I hadn't worked so hard, which is a lot in our workaholic culture to hear that. Third thing was, "I, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Instead of stuffing everything down and keeping it away, whether it's positive or negative, whether it's somewhere in between, I wish I would have been real with the people around me about what I was really feeling about them and us and life. And fourth thing they said was, I wish I would have stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I would have invested more time into the people that I really liked that breathed life into me. But I let those things slip through my fingers. I didn't follow up as much. I didn't make it a priority The last regret they had was, I I wish that I had let myself be happier. I wish that instead of always looking to the future and always like sort of infinitely delaying my happiness, I wish I would have been present in the moment and enjoyed the life I had and enjoyed the people around me and soaked up the most of my existence. And I think what is heartbreaking about this list is the realization when we read through it that this isn't just things that they wanted. These are the things that we want. It's everything that Solomon realized and wrote about toward the end of his life. And I think all of us would say that we want to prioritize these things, but we just, oftentimes we don't. We keep putting them off. There's this, there's too much happening right now, but you know what? It's fine because we've got, we've got time and we'll get to it, but we never do. And sadly, I think the reality of it is a lot of people spend a lot of their lives postponing pretty much everything they claim to care about most. And I'm telling you, you do not want to be one of these people. Why is it that we do this, though? Because I don't think we're doing it on purpose. Life just sort of gets away from us. And I I think the reason this happens is because 
you know, to spend time on what matters, you've got to not spend time on something else. And a lot of times that other something else might even be a good thing. And that's a tough call to make, but you've only got so much time. And I want to tell you something that maybe you've been avoiding in your life up to this point and wondering why aspects of your existence are miserable. The truth is you can't live a happy life without making hard decisions. It can't be done. You cannot live a happy life without making hard decisions. And when I say hard decisions, let me give you some of the examples that I'm talking about. You're gonna have to decide which items you're gonna let go undone. I'm just not gonna do that. It's not gonna get done. It's not gonna happen. You're gonna have to decide which people you're gonna disappoint because you can't make everyone happy all the time. You can't even make everyone happy some of the time. Some people are just gonna be miserable, partially because that's just their permanent state of being, but other people just aren't gonna like the things that you choose, that you pursue, that you prioritize. You're gonna have to decide which ambitions to abandon, not because they're not good things, not because you couldn't do it or achieve it, but because it's a trade-off you're not willing to make. You wanna do something else with your limited time and energy that's more important. You're gonna have to decide which roles you are gonna fail in because you cannot get an A plus in 15 different roles in your life at every imaginable moment. And you're gonna have to decide which things are just not worth it. And we don't wanna hear this because I know what you're thinking. You're like, I don't want any of those things to happen. But they will because you have limits. Some things will go undone. Some people will be disappointed. Some dreams will die. The question is, will it happen to you by design or default? Like, are you gonna thoughtfully make the choices you need to or are you going to wait around for someone or someone else to do it for you? You start to see like why these early wisdom writers especially in the book of Psalms, write things to God like, God, you gotta give me some wisdom. You gotta tell me what to do. God, teach me to see how much time I have and, and, and understand my limitations and my priorities and my values and help me to structure my life in a way that is aimed at the things that really, truly matter. And I think it's even more complicated for us now than it was for the psalmist then because we have the added benefit of living in an efficiency-obsessed culture. And you know what's really inefficient? Friendships. Have you noticed this? Friendships are incredibly inefficient. They will get in the way of you getting things done. Like when somebody needs time to just be with them and hang with them and talk with them and care for them and lean into their life and just do fun things together. That means that there's gonna be a whole lot of to-dos that maybe don't happen. And at the same time, I would argue that, that deep in friendships are worth it because productivity is not more important than connectivity. And you are gonna to have to remind yourself of that in order to prioritize deep in friendships in your life because our culture is constantly yelling the opposite at you. That productivity should take priority over connectivity. And yet, all of the research about what people regret on their deathbed indicates the opposite. 
And this is what Jesus modeled for us. It blows my mind every time I, I read through the Gospels that God comes to earth in human form. He has limited time on earth in this particular form to impart as much to humanity as he possibly can. I think of all the to-dos that need to get done, and yet the reality is the Savior of the world spent so much time investing in relationships. I mean, if you look at his life, he spent, he spent all this time lounging at these really long dinners, like going to and hanging out at days-long weddings where he drank and danced and laughed and told stories. He had all these meandering conversations with his friends and his followers and even strangers. A lot of us, we would look at that and be like, what a waste of time, Jesus. Not very productive. Our approach is, is more along the lines of like, okay, here's the deal. I'm gonna fit it, listen, I'm gonna drop by for a few minutes. I'm gonna say hi, make sure the right people see me so I get credit for being at the party. And then I'm gonna dip out after that because I just realized that I have a meeting that I totally forgot about that's on Zoom, but I gotta be in my office to do it because of the right camera setup. And so I'm gonna go do that, but I'm gonna make a phone call on the way. And so I'm gonna make a phone call on the way. And then once I decide what's gonna happen, then I'll text it. I know you're supposed to text and drive, but the Lord needs me to. And so I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna text what I discovered. And then I'm gonna get, I'm gonna do the Zoom meeting. When the meeting's over, then I'm gonna rush home. I'm going to kiss my kids goodnight and they better not have anything they want to talk about because I need it to be quick, okay? And then I'm going to switch over. I'm going to finish the project that needs to get done. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to kiss my wife on the forehead. I'm going to lay in bed and answer the rest of those emails as I'm laying in bed because she's just going to be flipping through Instagram anyway. So it's fine. She's not going to feel robbed by that experience. This is how we live. And we pat ourselves on the back for being so incredibly efficient. And maybe we are, but at what cost? I think often at the cost of skimming the surface of our lives and feeling largely disconnected from ourselves and from others, which steers us toward all five of the regrets of Bronnie's patients. And the question I want to ask you is, what if you just, what if you decided that you were going to do things differently, that you were going to live differently, that you were going to prioritize Differently, what if you decided that you weren't just going to sort of let your life float along and sort of be caught up in whatever culture tells you you should do? What if you decided that you were gonna decide what you wanted to do, who you wanted to be, and you prioritized that? How would you even go about that? And I wanna give you a couple of suggestions. The first thing I would suggest is that you decide what doesn't need doing. Decide what doesn't need doing. You don't need to do all of the things that you're doing. And if, and if you don't agree with that, you need to pull somebody else in your life because they'll tell you some of those things that you probably don't need to be doing. Some of us are caught up in outdated expectations or things that was put on us by somebody else or culture put on us. It's like, well, I, you know, I have to drive this kind of car and in order to drive that kind of car, I have to work this kind of job and I have to work this many hours and this is what's required and I gotta do that, right? And it just, we get caught up in having to do things that we really don't have to do. We could just let it go. You don't have to ace every test. C's get degrees, people. You can afford to not do well on everything. You don't have to go to every baby shower. You don't even know all those babies, okay? Mail them a diaper coupon and spend some time with a friend, okay? That baby's not gonna remember anyway. The second suggestion I would make is decide what isn't worth DIYing. Decide what isn't worth DIYing. We love doing things ourselves. 
you know, and posting the process on Pinterest. They're like, look how awesome I am. Look at this thing I did. Yeah, it took you 17 times longer than if you would have just had somebody else do it. And that's why you don't have any time for anything or anybody else. There are certain things that you can just like, you can offload, you can outsource, you can, you can delegate to somebody else. You know, I'm glad that you changed your own oil in your car. That took you three hours to do the whole thing. You get it for 12 bucks. You can go, they'll do it. It takes like 12 minutes. It's awesome. That's three hours. We can hang out and then you can love your life. Your dad's not watching anymore. I mean, you can do whatever you want. The third suggestion is decide what to bring others into. Decide what to bring others into. There's a whole lot of stuff we do by ourselves that we could do with somebody else. And we could find a way to partner that time. Um, you know, would you like to work out together? I like to work out. You clearly should work out. We could, maybe don't say it that way. Right, let's partner up. We both gotta buy groceries, right? We both are gonna be on these soccer fields. Maybe we could sit together. Maybe we could eat together. Maybe we could talk and share a moment together. What can you bring other people into that you're already doing? The fourth suggestion is to decide to go out of your way to be with people who fill you up. Some of us just default to being with the people who are just around. And some of those people are draining. They're emotional vampires. And the people like in your family, they can tell when you've been with them. They're like, why are you so, were you with Carl? What is going on with you? You're so mean every time you come home. And yet, Sometimes we don't spend time with certain people because it's just, it's too much work to put it together. It's too long a drive to go be where they are. It's too much effort. And yet, have you ever gone out of your way to be with somebody who fills you up? It never feels like it was a poor investment. I had a buddy who lives like an hour and a half away who drove up to have lunch with me this week and I felt guilty about it because he drove all the way here and I didn't drive anywhere. I was just at my office. And we spent a couple hours together. And I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. And he's like, you know, I've been putting it off because I, I didn't want to have to make the drive. And he's like, this is the most worthwhile time I have spent in months. I don't feel tired. I don't feel exhausted. I don't feel drained. I feel built up. I feel encouraged. I feel excited. This was worth it. And I think sometimes we just don't put in the extra effort to do the things that are worth it. And the fifth thing I, I would suggest is to decide what communal rituals to automate. Because it is, it is exhausting to continually make new plans with people. And so what if you could just make a plan one time and just keep repeating the plan, right? Like just, you know, every, every Thursday at lunch, wing stop, the two of us, right? And then it's just there, right? Let's go to church and then afterwards, lunch. We don't have to figure out like, when are we gonna do it? And is it gonna happen? We just, it's a standing date. Like, let's have a game night every other Friday. We're just going to do it. We're going to put it. I'll send you all the invites for the whole year, okay? I'm sure something will bump one of them, but just as a general rule. Now, we don't have to think about it. It's just on the schedule. I think in a lot of ways, this is what groups are, right? It's a, it's a, it's a ritual that prioritizes community because we know if we don't put on the calendar on a repetitive basis, it's not gonna happen. And we're gonna get to the end of our existence and look back and say, man, there's so much I regret. And I thought I could just keep doing everything, but there were some things I was gonna have to say no to in order to say yes to something better. Don't live an existence that feels like running up a hill in hell. Decide to take your life back to live differently, 
to make decisions that make relationships your priority. Would you bow your heads across this room? God, I am grateful for the the life that you've given us. I'm grateful for the guidance that you give us, for the wisdom that you have spoken into ancient people's lives that they've recorded and handed to us. So we don't have to make the same mistakes that have been made before. We can live according to the wisdom of people who have gone before. And we can live according to the wisdom of our creator. And God, I pray that you would help us while we still have time to make the most of that time, to meditate on our death so that we are motivated to make the most of this life in the here and now. God, I pray that you would help us to have the courage to say no to some good things so that we can prioritize some even better things. Not just so that we can get to the end of our life and be proud of what we've done, but so that even in the moments that we're living, even while we're living them, we think to ourselves, this is it. This is what it's about. These are the good moments. These are the good years. This is what makes life meaningful and worthwhile. God, give us the presence of mind to celebrate where we're at, when we're there, to lean into the people and to go deep. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless. Thank you.